Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over a hundred casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 1865, the Nottingham Forest podcast is proudly sponsored by The Terrace, the home of retro and fan culture sports merchandising. Check out their range of forest merch by visiting theterracestore.com or visit them on social media. Hello and welcome to the 1865 podcast. We're recording during November's international break and in the past month, Forest have continued their impressive start under Steve Cooper. Today we're talking about the Steve Cooper revolution and the impact he's made. We'll be talking players finding new levels, late goals, the wing-back situation, possible January transfers and can Forest mount a charge for the top six? We've also got our regular features, Jeremy Davis will be along later with his sketch. There's another edition of Guess That Red. And we have a giveaway courtesy of our sponsors, The Terrace. Now, you might notice it sounds a little bit different this month. That's because Rich is taking a well-earned break, but he'll be back very soon. In the meantime, it's Stephen. And today I am joined by the Maradona of the Midlands. Hello. Hello. By Baz. Hello. Good afternoon. And to Tom Newton. Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon. So we're reflecting on Steve Cooper's first full month in charge of Forest and overall the, the impact that he's made since taking charge. And it's, it's very obvious when you look at the results. We've only lost one of our last 10 games. The team looks transformed in, in so many ways. And there's a real confidence running through the team. And that's reflected now in the results and the performances. Tom, I'll come to you first. It's it's enjoyable watching Forest again, isn't it? It, it is. I mean, I mentioned last month um, under Chris Eaton, it is absolute sure to watch the football. It's boring. Uh, everything was flat. The fans were flat. And Steve Cooper's gone in there and football has been brilliant to watch. And at the end of the day, that's what we want to see from a Forest side, which exciting, easy on the eye. And um, results... Um, coming our way. 
Maradona of the Midlands, how would you assess the impact that Cooper's made so far? Um, it's been tremendous or tremendous, you might say. Um, he's, uh, it's, it's, it's night and day. You, you, can, you can't believe it's the same set of players who are producing not only the results, but more, more strikingly, the performances. It's, it's a completely different style of play. Players who couldn't pass the ball sort of 10 yards to each other are sort of passing it out from the back, um, showing energy, which they haven't for a long time, a bit just life and vibrancy. It's just, it's just honestly, it's unbelievable. If uh, Sometimes it feels like it's a dream that this sort of thing just doesn't happen at Forest, but um, it, it does seem to be happening. The, the style of football, it's transformed from what we've been watching, not only under Chris Hewton, but I would argue the past three or four managers, if you go back to Karanka and through to Lamushi and O'Neill. But another key element, and Baz, I'll come to you on this, he's just getting new levels out of these players, which two months ago, I don't think any of us would have thought possible. He seems to use the word belief a lot and he, he keeps on going on about how like Brennan Johnson, he's got all the abilities, he's got the belief, he just needs to believe in himself and keep doing the right things. But my absolute favourite thing that he said, he was talking about one of Joe Worrell or Scott McKenna um, pushing forwards and he goes, when you're playing a back three the way that we do, you have to have one of your centre-halves pushing forwards because otherwise you've only got seven attackers on the pitch. And you think about Chris Hewton being scared <laughs> to play three attackers and that, that's, that represents the change that we've got. And the Preston game, I would argue, was our best performance under Cooper in terms of a complete team performance. It was strong defensively, although you could argue whether Preston offered a great deal over the 90 minutes, but certainly attack-wise, Forrest were almost, as you were saying there, Baz, just getting men forward, trying to create and looking to play on the front foot. And that's something we haven't really seen at the city ground for for a long time. Yeah, I think Preston didn't offer very much, but uh, the... The the switching back, it's one of the things I liked about the Preston game was, again, it was not the formation. It wasn't the 4-2-3-1 that was the problem under Hewton. It was it was the mentality of the players and what they were being asked to do. And I think playing two defensive midfielders, if those defensive midfielders are confident and willing to drive forwards, it shows that that can be an attacking formation as well. Tom, just coming on to that, that word there of mentality, I think you are seeing that that difference among all of the players. Everybody just looks transformed under Cooper. What do you think he's been doing with them off the field to to, to instigate such a dramatic turnaround? I think he's been concentrating on what players are actually good at and what they bring to the side. And that's just been shown on the, the pitch. You've got like Jack Colback, who we've known is a bit of like a... Um, quite energetic in midfield. He probably didn't show that on the Hewton, but since Cooper's come in, he's shown what the callback of a few years ago. And just certain players are just playing with, like you say, how they should be playing and how we want them to play. And you've got like Ryan Yates, who he, even he's mentioned, he's more confident about, he's more confident about playing a forward pass. And Ryan Yates, like a few months ago, wouldn't play a forward pass. And now he's playing lots of forward passes and so much easier on the eye. So you've got players who are basically 
realize, well, Chris, um, Steve Cooper is realizing what they're good at. Then he's instilling that belief in them and they think, yeah, we are decent players here. And he's telling me how I should be playing and the playing, and you got players who are playing better than the Portland come. And it's just like my management at the end of the day and just putting that belief in players um, as they go onto the pitch. The one blip so far under Cooper's tenure was the home defeat to Fulham, the the 4-0. Now, we did our match report on that, but Maradona, the Midlands, would you just put that one down to a bad day at the office and the, perhaps Fulham just being that good that Forrest just couldn't live with them? Um, well, we were in the game for, for large parts of it. It was, it was just, I think, the word quality. Um, they had the quality to take the chances when when they had when they got them, and they had some good fortune as well with the own goal um, and the sort of collision between Figueroa and McKenna. But I mean, if if one of Johnson or, or Graben had taken their chances, it, it didn't sound. It, I mean, it didn't think like it was going to be a thrashing at, at that point. It was Graben scores that goal, then you're thinking with the belief we've got, we're we're going on to. Uh, to maybe win this game again, but that little bit of quality when and that confidence that Fulham have had from winning sort of virtually every game this season, that's driven them on. Um, but I, I mean, the top three teams are, are a bit better than everybody else. Bournemouth and Fulham are a lot better than everybody else. So I don't think we should be too hard on ourselves. Baz, you wanted to come in there. Uh, yeah, so um, I think actually the Preston and Fulham games are a really, really good contrast. Um, so the the um, and, and a good way of reminding ourselves that we shouldn't get too above ourselves. We're only four points off the playoffs, but we're a long, long way short of where Fulham and Bournemouth are. And the the difference for me between those two games was the central midfield. We had um, Yates and Colback against Preston completely dominated the game, and they were outstanding. But neither of them came close to um, Jean Michel Serry for Fulham, who he looked like an international player playing against non-league sides. It was, he was so head and shoulders above everyone else. And that coupled with Mitrovic, that's what Fulham have got that we are nowhere near close to that. And I think that shows the golfing class between us and, and we, we, we can beat the likes of Preston easily, but we're a top half of the championship side. We're not a top three side by a long way. And even though we've come a long way in such a, short space of time under Cooper I think that's that's true and it it shows you that we've still got quite a few levels to go up yet before we can really consider ourselves top end championship material but one of the things I wanted to touch on partly because it's been really enjoyable has been the late goals that we've been scoring recently it's become a bit of a trait most notably Bristol City in injury time with Lyle Taylor's double and Jack Colback slamming one in at QPR with minutes left on the clock. Tom, I'll come to you on this. Is it a concern that we're falling behind in games like that? Or should we just focus more on Forrest's staying power and, and be more encouraged by that? Um, it's, a, it's a bit of both, um, really, because um, yeah, the, the goal is what we have um, scored late on. Um, against Bristol and QPR. I mean, we're fortunate. Well, I won't say fortunate, but we're probably lucky that we've managed to get those uh, last-minute goals. But um, sometimes, if you give teams a head start, you might not get that opportunity 
in future matches. So I, I thought it was incredibly important against Preston that we scored first because the way of the previous games have gone, you might get a bit of tension in the crowd thinking, oh, here we go again. And Preston are, are notorious to come in, camping out, have a game plan, then they might score like late on in the first half or midway through the second. And that's it. They will, I mean, I think they did it a few years ago under the Kuranka. We were flying at the time and they hardly did anything in the game, got a goal and that was it. We couldn't break them down. So it was important that we didn't concede on um, the other week against Preston and um, managed to get that first goal. But I think I think Steve Cooper knows that it's just one of those aspects in the game that we've got to cut out and stop giving teams a head start because some games um, we might not be that lucky or whatever towards the end to get in something out of the game. We'll come on to some of the individual players now and I want to start with Jack Colback, the the ginger Perlow, as I think we can start calling him again, the the revival that he's had under Cooper has been incredible. Uh, this is a player who, at the start of the season, yes, he was in the team, but he never looked really like he had much of a future at Forest. It was a case of he will probably leave us at some point soon and we, we won't see the Jack Cole back of, of a few years ago. But Baz, it seems like Cooper's rolled back the clock with him and, and we're getting a top-end championship performer once again. And the thing I like best about him is his movement again, that that energy that he's got. Um, I mean, we mentioned it as, a few minutes ago as well about Yates but not being, about being scared to pass forwards. Now, Colback's not scared to jump forwards and get get on the end of those volleys from just on the edge of the box. It's, it's absolutely fantastic to see. One of my um, friends is a Newcastle fan and absolutely hates him. Um, he was like because he they they just said pass it sideways, pass it sideways, Colback, and they watched the QPR game with me and they were like, really, that's him up that end of the pitch, and so, so that the Colback we know from from years ago isn't what Newcastle saw, and the Colback we know that we're getting to see now is also so different to the Colback from that dip that he had, and it's absolutely brilliant to see. There must be something about ginger-haired midfielders enjoying a renaissance at Forest. We've had Ben Watson and now Jack Colback is is very much one of the, the key figures in the team. And also that goal against Preston, he took he took that well, didn't he? That was that was a perfect volley. Absolutely brilliant. What about Lewis Graben? He's somebody who some sections of the fan base have questioned, and he's another one who has seemed to rediscover his best form. Tom, did you want to mention something about Colback as well on that? Yeah, I was going to go on to uh, Lewis Grubber now, you mentioned him. Um, yeah, the goal against Preston, as soon as the ball went up in the air and I saw Jack, I knew it was going to go in because he's got that in his locker. I mean, he did it a few years ago, last game of the season against Bolton and did it a few years ago uh, against Leeds when we beat him 4-2 or whatever it was. So as soon as the ball went up, I knew it was going to go in because he was just primed for it. But now about Lewis Grubber, I, I, I put something on Twitter and... Okay, he's 30 foot well, he's coming up to 34 years old now, grabbing. And while he's still putting the goals in and he's out, I, I think we've got to keep him at all costs. I really do. Why he's still playing in the championship and still banging goals in? Because with the loose grabbing in form, I think he's a dead cert of scoring in any game at the moment. And now he's got his tail up and he's scored in the last few games and everything. I think as a club, we've got to keep him at all costs because. If you get rid of Lewis Graben, 
you got to spend not north of five million to get anywhere near his quality. And I know he splits his fan base, but he's ours and he's a goal scorer in the championship. And I think he's uh, brilliant for us. Given his age, Tom, would you give him a one-year deal in that case? It depends up to Lewis Grabbin what he wants to do. Um, if it's one year, he's, he's out for the next year. If it's two years, happy days. But as long as he's still banging the goals in for us, and I, I think he's the best striker we've had since uh, Robert Earnshaw. I think if he, nine times out of ten, if you give Lewis Grabbin a chance at uh, around six year odds, it's in. And I think he's, I think he's brilliant for us, and he has been for the last few years. He's probably had a, a couple of lean spells for whatever reason, but pound for pound, I think he's been brilliant for us. I think he's on like fifty goals or something like that. So, and he's only been here what three? Is it his third or fourth season? And yeah, I think it's a decent return from him. Yeah, I think we've more than got the six million back, haven't we? That we, that we paid for him. It's he's proved yeah. to be a great investment. <laughs> A bit more on Graben as well. You notice, I think, anyway, a difference in how Forrest play when Forrest start with Graben instead of Lyle Taylor. Not to criticise Taylor because I think he works hard and he, he tries his best for the team, but the ball doesn't seem to stick up the field when it's coming into Taylor. I notice it, he struggles to hold it up and, and bring others into play. And I don't know if you agree, Marid, on the Midlands, but I'd be looking at Graben as being the nailed-on starter and then... Taylor coming in as the, the impact striker coming off the bench, a little bit like what he did at Bristol. Yeah, no doubt. Um, the, the, Taylor's not, not in the same class as Graben. He, he's played most of his career in, in the non-league or lower leagues and, and Graben sort of applied his trade mostly in, in the championship. And he can tell, tell the difference from their touch um, and the movement um, and, and the finishing as well. Um, but yeah, Taylor, he's... He, just to, due to the size of him, um, he, he is a good impact sub. I suppose remind me a little bit of Deli Adebola in that sense uh, when he used to come on. Um, but yeah, there's there's no doubt to, at, at the moment Graben is is in fine form. It just makes it all the more of a mystery why he's looked so so lethargic for the past year. I was I was pretty certain his legs had gone, and so to see him playing playing as he as well as he is now is is a, is a uh, a very pleasant surprise. Um, with regards to keeping him next year, I'm not so sure because when when players do go, the legs do go. They they go pretty much overnight. I remember Jonathan Greening when he when he was at West Brom, he looked amazing, and over the summer he came to us and he he was terrible, and you could tell he just couldn't move anymore. Um, and per, I don't think personally, I get the feeling that I'm not sure Graham would want to stay here. For personal reasons, I've got a feeling if he had a similar offer from somewhere else. He'd probably prefer to go to the other place than uh, than stay here, but that's that's just the feeling I get. One of the the key things with Grabin is I think he's very well respected in the dressing room and his age and his experience that still provides a real asset. What I would suggest, and I'll come to you, Baz, is if Forest are looking to bring in some some new strikers. Surely Graben is the ideal player to keep around and almost help to embed those new strikers into the team and almost pass the baton over, if you like. Yeah, absolutely. I think that I think we definitely need new strikers coming in, not just because of Graben's age. I think I really like Lyle Taylor, but in comparison to Graben, he's very one-dimensional. He needs 
a certain type of type of cross played into a certain area for, for Taylor to score and and he'll do really well at that. But whereas we've seen with Graben, he can play almost anywhere on the pitch. He went with, under Lamouche, he was coming deep and then running with pe- people. He's brilliant when in the six yard box and all that sort of thing. So we need someone to replace him. Um, as the Maradona in the Midlands says, I, I believe there's some personal issues around grab and staying at the city ground um if he decided that he wanted to be a coach and move into coaching then yeah that would be an absolutely perfect transition give him a two-year contract have him start coaching people um and doing that 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 rolling transition over two years would be absolutely perfect but whether he wants to do that that's that's kind of up to him i guess tom did you want to come in yeah talk about strikers i mean how i don't know I don't get to watch many academy games, um, even though I'm, I'm actually going to an academy game on Tuesday because the under-23s are playing a, the team uh, who I play for, their first team. But I was just wondering how far will Swan and Dale, is it Dale Taylor, how far are they from the first team? Because Dale Taylor, I mean, I think he's made his debut for Northern Ireland senior squad, so that could be one to watch uh, over the next season or a bit. Yeah, and he's only 17, isn't he? A day or two. Yeah, just so, 17. Just 17. So we could potentially be having two tailors up front very soon. And uh, yeah, exciting, exciting to see how he develops and whether whether there is somebody like him or Will Swan who is going to come in and, and step up and be a senior striker. I suppose that's something that remains to be seen. Who would you say has been the last good striker that we've had, not only come through the academy, but really make an impact? in a forest shirt. Probably say off the top of my head someone like a Ben Brereton, but he probably wasn't around long enough to, yeah. to to make a lasting impact. I thought pound for pound, the best striker we've had in the last 10 years, what is it? 10? I can't remember when he left now. It's over 10 years ago now. Time flies at Rob Earnshaw. I thought for especially under Billy Davis, one-on-one Rob Earnshaw, you can put your house on it, him sticking away. I thought he was brilliant and three or four years we had him um, but strikers have been a bit hit and miss for us I mean it's we've come good with uh, Lewis Graben over the years but apart from that I can't think of many strikers that have actually been around long enough and done it for us yeah even I would say Patrick Bamford came through but fleeting appearances in the senior team I mean, we had to sell him for <coughs> obviously had to sell him for reasons but yeah, in the academy. I'd say um, against Cardiff, then it went to Chelsea the following week, didn't it? From the academy, I'd say you'd have to go back to Marlon Harewood, surely for for someone that's actually made an impact in the first team. And it, and it took about three years to get anything out of him because, I mean, he was quick and everything, but he used to miss more than he scored. Then Paul Hart got told of him, and he was phenomenal, wasn't he? Under well, when he was up front with David Johnson, so. Yeah, probably more than yeah. I would from the academy. I think um, Alex Martin's got it into him, in him to be a striker rather than a winger um, as well. So, but I don't know if that's ever going to happen. Mm. I thought um, Alex Martin, I don't want to criticise him because he's only just coming into the professional game, but I thought he was um, frustrating against Preston. I mean, he got on the ball and he was like willing to take on the man and he just kept passing it inside. And, he looked. Uh, he looked very lost. I thought against Preston, he yeah. didn't. He didn't know what his positioning was, and he kept on running into Max Lowe. And Max Lowe changed his game to to deal with the fact that Martin didn't really know where he wanted to be. And I don't know whether Alex Martin needs a loan period just to like get a bit of belief and confidence back into his game, like 
Brennan Johnson. I do I think, think we've probably got the right manager for the, for looking after these young players. Yeah. I think that's the thing, isn't it, as well? You look at Brennan Johnson when he was going out on loan. There were, I think there were managers in place who perhaps didn't trust the younger players coming through, didn't give them that time to develop and, and nurture because maybe results dictated that they needed to, to to play the senior pros and just try and go for experience. But I think you look at now Dale Taylor making his debut for for Northern Ireland and you pair that with Steve Cooper and a manager who's got that track record of working with younger players. There's potentially some exciting players coming through the academy. They, they could get even better with, with Cooper in charge. For the first time in a long time, I'd argue since Paul Hart, we have got that kind of manager who will give these players the opportunity to develop. And I wonder if Alex Mighton is another one where he'll stay here under Cooper because that might be better for him rather yeah. than going out on loan. What do you think, Tom? Yeah. Um, yeah. I agree with you. We've, um, we've obviously his track record, um, Steve Cooper, when he was on the, the England setup um, and everything. So, um, but to, and another thing, um, going Brazil mentioned it on uh, Robin Sheffield's uh, YouTube channel, what he's got at the moment is that um, with the category one status and bigger investment, we can get better players uh, to come to the academy and name in previous years um players might not be ready for the first team whereas if you're getting like better players in the academy they might be ready because they've got that bit of extra quality so that uh, could into try and really well for us now we've got capital on status one final point on the on the recent run of fixtures and it's been a talking point probably not for good reasons for forest but the officials that have taken charge of some of these games recently uh, left a lot to be desired, haven't they? At times, um, yeah. I mean, you know, I, I put this on Twitter um, a couple of weeks ago after I think it was the QPR game. Um, with the Premier League and all the like, the media focus and everything, if they got the same level as a referee, and they'd be having like hour long specials on Monday Night Football with Gary Neville. But seeing it's the AFL and they're not scrutinized, some of the decisions have been absolutely woeful. And it's not like the fact of sounding biased but they have been awful and usually you know when you get like a referee you think oh they're not him because he's got potential of ruining the game and cough Keith Stroud cough cough yeah there's nothing seems to be done it seems to be like these referees can carry on making monumental cough cups and there's no sanctions or anything and it just like winds the playing fan up and, and obviously people are watching it at home Steve Cooper, after the QPR game in particular, was was not very happy with some of the decisions that were made on that night. I can think of the uh, the one Alex Martin where he's basically bundled into the stand, and the 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 QPR player only got it, I think a yellow card for that in the end. But credit to Cooper, he he did hold his tongue there and and not get himself into too much trouble. But I think there were a few instances after that as well. The the big one for me, Baz, was the Brennan Johnson penalty shout against Sheffield United, where he's bundled to the floor in front of the Trent end. And it seemed as if the only person in the stadium who didn't think it was a penalty was the referee. It's, I mean, Brennan Johnson's one of those players because of the way he plays, you either have to kick him or you have to put four men on him to stop him. And, and, and like against Preston, they put four men on him and he still got through. Um, but, also against Preston, 
he won a penalty, which from my point of view, and I even haven't looked at it back, I didn't think was a penalty. But before that, there's probably three games where he had nailed on penalties that were denied to him. And it's kind of worrying to that extent, because if that keeps happening, where Johnson makes the, the defender make a mistake, gives away a penalty and it doesn't get given, then he's going to get this this reputation as a diver so even the good refs are going to start thinking oh hang on it's that it's that guy again um and we need to watch out for that I'm, I'm not altogether happy about the way Steve Cooper talks about refs after the game but then because it might give us that reputation sort of thing as well but I can't see uh, the, the, some of the decisions have been so appalling that I can't see what else we can do about it Tom yeah, I was just, um, as I just um, mentioned what I was going to say about uh, Johnson, he's just going to have this like reputation, what's going to follow him around now. Then does somebody have to like do a two-footed lunge on him in the box to get a penalty? And like, like Baz says, he's going to get a reputation wrongly now where it's going to look like a stone wall. If the referee doesn't give it, that's it. And that could be a trend for a number of weeks. And remember Wilford Zahara at Palace, then he was getting absolutely poleaxed in the box. And nothing was given because of, of this unfair reputation which was following him. And you can see the same thing happening with Brennan Johnson in the coming weeks. I think it's safe to say that the one against Preston, he very much earned. I th- any, any more decisions like that? And I think the roof will come off the trend 10 next time if uh, we get a, a couple more baffling ones. So plenty to think about, but hopefully Forrest will take matters out of the officials' hands with the, the quality of their football and, and the results to follow. Okay, so we'll take a break at this point. We'll be back with you in a few minutes. But for now, it's over to Jeremy Davis. I was briefly reminded of the glory days of Forest's UEFA Cup run in season 1995-96, to one team in Europe and all that, whilst watching Manchester United nicking a draw away at Atalanta a couple of weeks back when the commentator noted that Forrest had equalised against Sheffield United in the Championship thanks to a strike from Louis Grabin. The continental accent the speaker placed on our skipper's name suggested that they aren't watching much Championship football at BT Sport. Either that or he's got confused by Ben Brereton-Diaz and decided that all forwards with an association with Nottingham Forest should internationalise their names somehow. Certainly he wasn't corrected by his supposedly expert summariser, a certain Robbie Savage. Speaking of exotic-sounding names, I've noticed that the pod crew appears to have settled the debate on how to pronounce Zink's name, which you may recall I discussed last month. You say Zinka Nagel, I say Zinka Nagel, you say Anus Horribilis, I say Michael Gove, and so on. Deciding on Zinka Nagel, as in Arnus Horribilis, which is presumably what the lead character in Gladiator would have been called if Schwarzenegger had landed the role instead of Russell Crowe. To come back to grabbing the goals, as this podcast once referred to him, a Q&A with reporter Sarah Clapson on Facebook this week was headlined The Case for Lewis Graben and pondered whether to offer him a new contract, as well as the need to sort out the fullback positions at the club, with both Spence and Lowe likely to be whisked back to their parent clubs. Thin back is one option at right back, of course. Everyone knows he's the son of England rugby legend Neil Back, a man who laughed in the face of nominative determinism by winning the Rugby World Cup as a forward. Mind you, if nominative determinism in rugby was a thing, former Welsh fly-half James Hook would have been a pirate, and former Grand Slam winning Welsh captain Michael Owen 
would have been a bit of a prick. I was lucky enough to get away for a couple of weeks last month and used the flight back as a chance to catch up on a few 1865 match reports, notably on the Fulham game, a heavy defeat which brought to a temporary end a run of good results, which reminded me of the 7-0 defeat at Blackburn which halted the unbeaten run under Frank Clark in 1995, a painful defeat to which salt was generously applied by the fact that the recently departed Lars Bohinen, the man who gave me my second best moment at a Forest fan when he literally chipped in with a goal at White Hart Lane, scored two of the goals. I wasn't going to mention it, but then Fulham went and beat Blackburn 7-0 a few days later, and there seemed a sort of neat symmetry to it, especially as the beaten Blackburn team contained another Forest man in none other than Ben Brereton-Diaz. Thank you, Jeremy, and welcome back to the 1865 podcast. Now it's time for our giveaway. Thanks to our sponsors, The Terrace, we've got some forest mugs and kit hangers up for grabs. All you have to do is leave us a review on your podcast app, hopefully a positive one. Take a screen grab of it and email it to forestramble at gmail.com. We will then choose three people who will win a forest mug and a further five who will receive a forest kit hanger. That's forestramble at gmail.com. Not only does a review help other forest fans find our content, but you can also get your hands on some great red merch. And the deadline for that is Friday the 26th of November at 8pm, which is kickoff in the West Brom game. So that is forestramble at gmail.com. Leave us a review, send us a screen grab, and you could get your hands on some great forest merchandise. Thanks to our sponsors, The Terrace. Now we'll come on to the forest wingbacks. Now they have been a revelation really since Steve Cooper took charge. Jed Spence and Max Lowe. I think Spence in particular has been the standout performer in the last four or five games. But there are question marks over their futures at Forest, particularly now in the, in Jed Spencer's case, Neil Warnock has left Middlesbrough and he's been replaced by Chris Wilder, a man who from his Sheffield United days, we know likes playing with wingbacks. Maradon, the Midlands, I'll come to you first on this. Jed Spence is probably the best fullback in the division right now, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, he just doesn't stop. He, he game against Sheffield United. He even up into the 90th minute, he was just go, 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 non-stop, um, attacking, defending. Um, he takes players on. Um, he's just he's just been an absolute revelation because when he when he first came in, I think I don't think any of us had any particularly high hopes for him. It was just like another standard Boris fill the squad loan signing uh, we thought but he's been absolutely brilliant um i think the, the partnership he's he's created with uh, joe worrell especially has has really helped him as well because joe, joe worrell pushes right up to the halfway line on that wing um and that that allows um and it goes very wide right to the touchline and that allows spence to go even further forward which which makes make, allows him to play really well and and, and give these eye-catching performances it's a little bit more difficult for uh, low on the other side because McKenna doesn't doesn't push up as often or as far 
Um, so that's maybe why we noticed Jed Spence a bit more. But yeah, he's been absolutely brilliant. And Spence, of course, he's obviously on loan from Middlesbrough for the remainder of the season. Baz, would you be looking to try in January at the first opportunity to, to time down to a permanent deal? At least ask the question of Middlesbrough. Um, I'd say that for both of them. I think that those two players, Max Lowe and Jed Spence, have been the single most important thing, well, the, the double most important thing about our revival. The, the way that the, the back three, the, the way they push forwards. Um, Max Lowe, I think at the start of the season, especially when he pushed forwards, it almost always resulted in a goal. It was like not just his fluky, um, like um, massive cross shot thing that, that went in, but when when he was getting a cross in, then you knew that it was going to end up in a goal. So and he kind of for me he eclipsed Jed Spence at the start of the season. Spence has been like consistent, this this running machine. Whereas Max Lowe sort of went in fits and starts, but when Lowe was forwards, he he made a real difference. But it's it worries me a lot that both our two most important players are are loanees, and both of them now have this connection with Chris Wilder, um, who obviously likes wing backs. So that that does worry me a lot. I don't know if this was paper talk, but I did see a story in midweek regarding Rian Brewster, who's now at Sheffield United, but worked so well under Steve Cooper at Swansea. And there's been a link that we will go in for him in January, but almost as an act of revenge, Sheffield United will take Max Lowe back in order to make the deal happen, which is a bit of an odd one, but I suppose maybe it is paper talk at the end of the day with the two fullbacks, Tom, worst case scenario, we lose both of them and we, we for one reason or another, we, we can't make their moves permanent. Would that almost be better in a way? Because at least Forrest will be able to get permanent players in with Cooper buying them and those positions will settle down. Um, yeah, it's always the danger, isn't it, when you have like lone players what do really well and they're not your players. Um, I think the first time... In a long while, that we seem to have a bit of a more of a plan under Dane Murphy, and I'm more confident of adequately replacing Lowe and Spence if they do go back to the parent clubs um, compared to season gone past when we lost obviously Matty Cash, and it took uh, probably about half the season for Size Christie to get up to speed, and then he did finish the last season pretty well. Um, so I do have faith in. Um, Steve Cooper and hopefully if we can get some players of similar quality if if not better I don't I can't see us getting better but if we get close to the quality of Lowe and um, Spence and the round players and for the next couple of years then it gives Steve Cooper the opportunity to actually build a squad here rather than like having players over like half a season or four seasons then we've got to um, plan again to obviously um, fill those positions. I suppose the the key thing for both Lowe and Spence is they're enjoying their football and you can see that they're enjoying it. Before they came to Forest, both of them were out of favour at their respective clubs and struggling for game time, but both have come to Forest and, and been revitalised. And I would hope that that could play a big part in Forest trying to make their moves a permanent one. If the players are enjoying their time here and they appreciate the fact that Forrest have given them regular first team football, surely that's got to be 
a positive thing, Maradona with Midlands. Yeah, I mean, for, I mean, I've got no doubt whatsoever that Forest will want to make their moves permanent, um, and I'm guessing the players will probably probably enjoyed it and, and would like to make the moves permanent as well. But the the, the problem is, it, it's a bit of a no-brainer for Middlesbrough, especially to recall Jed Spence, because say if if they're if they're struggling at the bottom of the league and they see a player who's been playing really well um, for somebody else, they bring him in because he's going to help them get back up the league. If they're up and near around the playoffs and so far is, it's a no-brainer to recall him because you're, you're directly um, harming one of your, your direct rivals. Um, I did have a look, quick look at who Middlesbrough have got um, at right back and they've got about three players. Uh, they're Peltier, um, I can't remember the names of the other two now, but what one of them's injured. So they're, they're, I think they're down to two right backs there who were ahead of uh, Jed Spence at the beginning of the season. So it's, it's not not inconceivable that they'd want him back. Um, Max, I think we've got more of a chance of having him because Sheffield, Sheffield United have such a strong squad and he's been so out of favour there for, the, for a whole year um, that he, he we might, might have a better chance of getting him. But then again, he's on a good contract there and he'll command a pretty high fee. Okay, I mean, I think minimum, what, six million quid? I don't know if we've got that sort of money knocking around. Um, similarly for Jed Spence, they, they could ask for anything, what, four, five, six million? I, I don't think we've got 12 million pounds done by the pair in January. Um, but I, I really hope they both stay and can somehow convince Sheffield United and Misery it's, it's the best, best for all parties for them to stay. I've noticed the club have receive some criticism from fans for basically loaning in these players and not including some kind of permanent clause, almost as if the club had never thought of that as an option in the first place. But if you look at Jed Spence, before he came to Forest, he he signed a new deal at Middlesbrough. So despite what was going on with Neil Warnock and him, Middlesbrough rated him and felt that there was potential there. I suppose it is a case now for Forrest of, in January, if they want to, to hold on to him, you could be looking at five, six million pounds. And is it is it a case of just maybe going with somebody like Drago in the worst case scenario or, you know, trying to, to invest the money into other areas of the team? Tom, do you think that Forrest should just go all out and, and just try and get these lads in and, and get the deals over the line? Yeah. I think they should, regarding FFP, I think they should try to show a bit of ambition because apart from the summer we had, the first summer we had with Rick Frank when he bought in uh, Graben, we haven't really spent a lot of money, I don't think. I don't know how much um, the likes of Harry Arter was last year, but there's got to be some money there because with the rumours at the back end of the um, late, well, the last window was was on the verge of getting Josh Maggio, if that was ever true, at four million quid. So there's got to be some um, money there. And I don't know if FFP has been relaxed uh, because of the COVID situation. So with a manager who's got a track record of, like he's got Swansea in the playoffs for the last couple of seasons, just, just give him what we can afford as a football club to give him the opportunity to actually build something rather than trying to get by on the cheap. That, that's out But like I said, I, I don't know the finances of the football club, so we might not have much money to actually go out and spend £4 million on Jed Spence, for example. 
we're in the middle of November now and what six weeks away from the January window opening. Baz, what would you like to see Forrest do in the January window? What are your thoughts on what Cooper should be looking at when the window opens? Um, from my point of view, I think... So, I mean, part of the thing with with the fullbacks, with the wingbacks, is what are our alternatives? We've got, like, Finn back. We've got uh, Jaden Richardson. We've got Ose Tutu, who's injured, but, again, another low knee. Um, but beyond that, we're, we're pretty stretched. So I think something has to happen at that, at that part of the pitch. Um, I, I do think, as I was saying earlier um, about the, the Fulham game, I think we're short in midfield. Colback and Yates have been fantastic, but they're not top three material. So if that's our ambition for this, if, that's, if we're really going to make a go of it, then maybe that's something, but that might be hard to do in January. And again, we're only one kick to the ankle away from losing Lewis Graben. Um, so I think some sort of cover for him there would be, would be useful. Again, they're all difficult things to buy in January. So um, who knows where, where that's going to come from. I think the key thing is that Cooper, as of yet, hasn't been able to, to bring in his own place. He's essentially working with the past two or three managers' players, which really does show how much of an impact he's made so early on. Tom, what would you say Forrest should be looking to do come January, if anything at all? Um, it'd be nice for Steve Cooper to be start building something here um, not necessarily go out and spend despite what I've said um, previous uh, a couple of minutes ago but just giving the opportunity to get some players embed them for the like the final four or five months of the season to give them the opportunity to start building from next year um, because he's moved us away from the relegation zone how we're playing I don't think we will get dragged back into it so I'm just giving the opportunity to see what he actually wants and possibly get a striker in and then work with him and um, for the um, remaining months of the season and um, just see if we can keep the fullbacks for how, what we've mentioned. And I'd send um, Tutu back, to be honest, because the same thing happened when he was on loan at Cardiff. I mean, apart from a couple of games he's played for us, he's been much uh, injured. So if he's not going to be fit anytime soon, I'd possibly send him back to Arsenal and gives us another opportunity to get someone in uh, on loan with a view to buy in the summer yeah it frees up that that loan space doesn't it I mean he's looked lively when he's been in a forest shirt I'll say too too but he just hasn't obviously played enough because of the injury and I don't think we can afford in our position to be carrying players particularly other clubs players Maradona of the Midlands what would be a successful January for you potentially as as, as Baz said um a striker, a young sort of striker, which we've been going on about the past two or three windows. And um, yeah, so somebody who can come in uh, in central midfield, the, the fullback situation, obviously we'll see what will happen, but it is really hard. Baz mentioned we, we haven't got anybody like the Fulham players, the top three players, but, but I think Seri costs £23 million. Uh, Billing at Bournemouth costs £16 million. We're just not going to get those sort of players. <laughs> so it's and I'm, I'm, I'm the last few years I've just I've given up on trying to sort of think of who we're going to sign because we just got signed such random players. It's not like in the old days. Our Teddy Sheringham scored 
40 goals for Millwall. Let's buy Teddy Sheringham. Uh, or um, Stan Collywood's been banging the goals in at, at South End. Let's get him. Or Andy Cole at Bristol City. You just don't know who these players are or where they're going to come from. So it's a bit of a futile task trying to guess. But yeah, if we can get a quality striker in and and some a bit more added uh, cover in central midfield, I think I think we'd be happy. Tom? Um, yeah, we've got Brian and Jada, who we haven't blooded yet. And um, it'd be nice to... Uh, at the Preston game, I thought... I said to my dad, I said, it'd be nice to get like that uh, third goal, which we got pretty early on. And, it, and um, but then he took Graben off, which was a bit strange because he was on a hat-trick and doing OK. So I would have took like Cole back off and given him a rest and played a shader for the, the final half an hour. So there's still uh, a possibility to see how he adapts to the championship in the um, coming months. So there's a hopefully there'll be a central midfielder in there and on top of that, he's ours for a good few years now, isn't he? So, Forest are one of the informed teams in the Championship. If you look over the, the last 10 games, it's only one defeat, and that was to a Fulham team who were absolutely flying. So in the space of those 10 games, we've gone from being rock bottom of the league to now sitting 13th and just four points off the playoffs. Baz, do you think that the playoffs are on for Forest this season or should we be setting our sights a bit lower given the position we were in not all that long ago? Uh, well, mathematically they're on. <laughs> um, I think um, if we could get there, it would be amazing. That that would be, I mean, even if we hadn't had the disaster, at the, at the very start of the season, I was thinking a top half finish would be really good for us with Chris Hutton in charge. So the fact that Steve Cooper has raised our expectations, I think actually a top half finish for this group of players would still be a really good result for us. But if we could get to the playoffs, then that would be absolutely amazing and show what an achievement Steve Cooper's, um, what a difference he's made to, the, to this group of players. Um, I don't think we, I, I can't see us realistically doing any better than just scraping into the playoffs. So, and I'd argue, looking at the table, um, Maradon, the Midlands, you mentioned that, that sort of top three of Bournemouth, Fulham and West Brom, I think I think they will more or less go and, and, and finish in the top three. Coventry as well, the way they're playing, they, they look like nailed on for the playoffs right now. But I would argue fifth and sixth are up for grabs. And when you look at some of the teams that we've played recently, including the likes of QPR and Blackpool, who are up and around those kind of fifth, sixth, seventh place positions, do you feel that Forest have got a chance and perhaps even more than just a chance of, of getting a top six finish? Yeah, I, I definitely do. Um, but I think every team from third all the way down to 16th, 17th, 18th will be feeling exactly the same. The table is so tight and, and the quality difference between, say, Coventry and third and they say a know, Birmingham or somebody sort of where around where we are or us, there's nothing in it. I I just literally nothing in between any of those teams. Um so yeah, I, I, I yeah, I think it's definitely on. I think but but it's on for every other team in the division as well, more or less. So it, it's gonna be a bit of a lottery. So whoever is in there at the end of the season is gonna win the lucky draw. It could be any of us. 
That's just one other thing. Yeah, just one other thing. So going back to the fullback and wingback situation, I think part of the issue with the wingback situation is that they're both loans from two sides that are in the same situation as us. So when it does come down to it's going to be the tightest, smallest marginal thing that's going to get you into the playoffs, maybe it is recalling Jed Spence or Max Lowe that would make that difference. Um recalling them from one of your rivals for that position. So that could be could have an impact on us. I, I really hope we don't get another Nicky Shorey situation. Really. We've got it. We've got it already, Steve. It was We've bad enough it the first time round. I don't want to go through that again. But <laughs> <laughs> we're looking at the fixtures, Tom. Uh, certainly the next couple. I think Reading away on Saturday and then Luton at home the Tuesday after. Uh, pretty good fixtures to come back from after the international break, don't you think? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, we finished um, the pressing game with a win. And so at least we haven't had like a defeat or whatever, which is obviously lingering on to, into the international break. So, um, yeah, there's two winnable games there. I mean, Reading's never the easiest place to go to for whatever reason. And Luton, <coughs> not a bad side under Nathan Jones. Then we obviously got Peterborough, I think, the Saturday. Is it, I can't remember the game now. Is yeah, it the... Uh, it's West, yeah, West Brom away, and then Peterborough after, yeah. So, um, yeah, if we get like four, if not six points out of the next two games, it sets us up going into the Christmas period. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, going to be uh, interesting to see how we do over the next uh, week or so, well, a few weeks. And I think the West Brom game in particular, given the the way that we're playing, and also the fact that I don't think West Brom have been all that convincing so far that could be a really good Friday night game at the Hawthorns one that I think we're all looking forward to yeah definitely I mean with I think yeah, I didn't think West Brom were that great against Fulham a couple of weeks ago but they did have like a couple of decisions what didn't go what, um, their way uh, I think they got like a dubious penalty um, etc so um, yeah I don't even though they're up there West Brom I, I don't think they're like as good as Fulham, so we may be able to get something. I do think it's going to be a decent game at the Hawthorns on the week on Friday. And plenty to potentially look forward to for Forest in the coming month. Now it's time for Guess That Red. So now it's time to play a Guess That Red. If you've not heard it before, Tom will give us some clues for a former Forest player and Baz, the Maradona of the Midlands, and myself will try and guess who that player is. So over to you, Tom. Right. So um, so the first clue is, there's a bit of a twist this week. Yeah, he, he never actually played for the club. So you'll have to get your thinking caps on for this one. So... Um, this person was born in 1940 in South Shields and he played over 300 games in the Football League. South Shields. Silence. Uh, nobody? It's not, not a good sign for a podcast, is it, when you've just got pure silence coming back <laughs> at you? <laughs> so, um, the second clue... I was manager at Notts County in 1975, in which I left there two years later to join Nottingham Forest. Manager at 
not Ronnie Benton? Yes, Maradona wow. Midlands. <laughs> so yes, uh, Ronnie Fenton. The other clues were I used to play as an inside forward and I joined Fice in 1977 as a coach, uh, but then I left in 1993 after Brian Clough's retirement. So yeah, Ronnie Fenton. I, I, I was going to guess after the first clue. But um, uh, you just I wanted to keep us all waiting. It's a story of my life. I chickened out. I chickened out. <laughs> well done, Maradona of the Midlands. That is a guess that read. And that brings to an end this month's edition of the 1865 podcast. So it's left to me to thank the Maradona of the Midlands. You're welcome. Tom Newton. Yeah, thanks for having me again. And Baz. Goodbye. And a big thanks to Jeremy Davis for the sketch and to our sponsors, The Terrace, for the merch for our giveaway. And finally, thanks to you, listener, for joining us. We will be back after the Reading game with our match reports and further match reports throughout the next month. Thanks again and goodbye. Podcast Network. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.